This episode is brought to you by Podomatic, the easiest way for podcast fans to become podcasters. Go to podomatic.com or search Podomatic in your app store to start your own podcast for free and find your audience. Hello and welcome to episode number 357 of the Super Horror Bros podcast. I'm your host Matt and joining me as always is my brother Mike. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. We are back, uh, not with a horror film this week, funny enough. Um, right off the bat, we're just having a bit of fun this week. Because um, yeah, we've yeah. been seeing, we've been on the grind for a while. There's so only so many... Offers. There's only so many like three hour movies you can watch in your spare time as well as doing the podcast movie, so it had to overlap at some point. Yeah, especially because the two the two that we have on the back burner right now to to actually watch yeah. for the podcast, one of them's two and a half hours, the other one is three hours. So <laughs> there there's no quick movies right now. Um but also as I was gonna say, like we've been on the grind for a while. We've been covering the new horror pretty directly this year. Um and you know we've seen a lot of stuff that hasn't been great we've seen some good stuff as well of course but i feel like sometimes we need these we we need to be less bullish and just diving head first week after week um because we used to do this back in the day like i remember when we saw once upon a time in hollywood and stuff like that we had that as like a palate cleanser before fright fest one year which was a great shout um and i think this is just such an interesting movie as well that i'm sure people will enjoy the conversation um but yeah if you're if you're just into the horror obviously there is some good horror news here to kick things off um because yeah there's two two kind of notable items here about two pretty big movies um coming later this year this first one is obviously something that we've been eagerly anticipating we haven't got a trailer yet um but we do have some details on the upcoming saw movie um so, yeah, obviously the 10th saw movie saw x um is actually coming sooner than we expected um it's been brought forward a month um so it's now coming out september 29th um which is always hilarious like saw has continually bitched out of the halloween slot um (laughs) when there's even a hint of competition um which there is this year which we'll get to in fact in the second news item was a movie that's coming out of halloween um but it just makes me laugh because Saw, back when it was good, back in the glory days of Saw, um, you know, specifically those first six movies, they owned Halloween. Yeah, they didn't shit. Um, yeah, and they weren't the only movie coming out, but they didn't care. You know, they just they just went in and they had the confidence because they knew that the films would back it up. Whereas now they're so panicky because they've had such shaky box offices and obviously the films have been atrocious as well um, that it it does annoy me. Like it's another one of those small things, much like Fright Fest, uh, you know, the news we discussed last week. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter when it comes out. If it's a good film, it's a good film, but it's just optics. And it's and it's what you see as a fan from the outside before you've even seen the film and they they said this what it was well over a year ago that we knew this was coming out in halloween like they said it so preposterously early to try and lock that in but then again the moment there's a bit of you know competition they just run away and especially what we're seeing right now 
at the box office. We're seeing one of the best sort of battles head to head that we've ever seen, really. Um, and it and it kind of resulted in one of the busiest cinemas we've ever seen, like yeah. literally ever. Um, of course, with Barbie and Oppenheimer, and like it's crazy. Both movies are doing exceptionally well. Barbie's doing ridiculously well. It's actually beating it's beating Oppenheimer like two to one, um, mm. both domestically and internationally, which is crazy. But they're both doing sensational. Obviously, Mission Impossible just came out the week before as well. Yeah. Um, so I think it always I think it breeds competition. So I don't get why they would do this anyway. But alas, um, we're obviously going to be seeing it sooner rather than later. Um, but the real news here is we've got some some plot details for the first time. Obviously, we oh, know that this is the return of Tobin Bell to the franchise. It's kind of the big selling point. Um, obviously, Shawnee Smith as well has been confirmed for this movie, though she's not in this write-up here. Um, which makes me think this is one of those cases and they're going to try and see if we forget that they announced that like a year ago. Um, you know, I'm curious if she'll be in the trailer, um, which I'm sure is just around the corner now. Uh, it was all the talk that we were going to be getting a trailer by the end of July. Um, and obviously with it coming out sooner as well, they've got to start promoting this thing. Um, but yeah, in the write-up, there's a couple of small tidbits here. Um, via deadline. Uh, the first one is kind of uh, the, the tagline, which they say in the twisted pictures next installment, John Kramer, a.k.a. Tobin Bell, is back. And it's the untold chapter of Jigsaw's final games, um, which I'm trying to not be negative here. I'm really trying. And especially when we get to the next item as well. But like that already annoyed me. Where it's like the untold chapter of Jigsaw's final games, like what what you mean saw free, like we got to see Jigsaw's final game. It was amazing. The movie was amazing. Um, so this does frustrate me no end. Um, but then to get a, kind of a bit more, and this is when we actually get into what this film is going to be about, and then I'll throw over to you for your initial reaction for this one. Um, nah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, set between the events of Saw 1 and 2. Nah, you're right. <laughs> which is already, it's just crazy what, what we're even saying, given how far away we are from that film. You know, we're nearly 20 years away from Saw 1 at this point, and now we're going to just try and slot back into that timeline. Um, but yeah, set between the events of Saw 1 and 2, a sick and desperate John travels to Mexico for a risky and experimental medical procedure in hopes of a miracle cure for his cancer, only to discover the entire operation is a scam to defraud the most vulnerable. Uh, the infamous killer returns to his work, turning the tables on the con artist in his signature visceral way through devious, deranged, and ingenious traps. Um, so oh, very much... <laughs> very I much bringing up old brand. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't want to buy, but then that that triggered me on different levels where I, where I need to buy. I'm so angry. Yeah, I had this last week, so I've kind of called a bit. Um, like, don't get me wrong. Um, it's already preposterous, but like the whole point of Jigsaw is kind of that he's accepted his fate and he just wants to like you know do as much as he can in the time he's got. Like. This this like last ditch attempt to save himself just seems the opposite to his mo for the rest of the movies. Um, yeah, also, if it's, if it's after Saw One, yeah, that is yeah, weird. Yeah, like it's after Saw One, and so mm. he's like desperately still trying to like cure himself. You know, I mean, I get it. You know, you you know, you'd like to think people, you know, he does want to keep going, but it just kind of like you know, the, it didn't feel like that in the other movies that he was like, you know, he 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 was kind of accepting of his fate. That was kind of the point. It's why he became Jigsaw. 
yeah that is weird like we've obviously seen through through flashbacks and through the other movies like different time periods and i think famously like i think it is source six um which is regarded as one of the better sequels because it has this whole breakdown of the american healthcare system um and how they're basically scamming him out of his treatment and that's really good and i do think that's why they are like they are really trying to lean into that for this film it seems like um because that's one of the better received sequels um but again you're just bringing up old ground i think you've already done that and you did that so effectively with like say the breakdown of the american healthcare system whereas this seems a bit more on the nose of like oh he just travels to mexico to try and do some risky dodgy stuff and then it it turns out they're just con artists like that's just not as inherently interested on the surface um but then send it in this time period again like between one and two which again i now obviously reading that it, it makes perfect sense why shawnee is back because that's obviously very centered yeah, in the kind of amanda, yes the amanda timeline part of the story you know through her first game that we see in saw one through flashbacks but obviously then we see her like her police interview and then obviously her being in in the game in saw two and the reveal the amazing reveal that she's working with jigsaw at this point um but yeah i just don't see how that's gonna transpire because you know tobin bell can kind of get away with it but shawnee smith is going to look so different to how she looked in saw one and saw two now um i just don't think it's gonna work it's it's this is a weird one like and i totally get why they're doing this as well because i what i like is that this is a lot more simple this seems like a way less bullshit than the recent ones um this is clearly them trying to appease the fans and be like okay what are the fans like they like tobin bell they like shawnee smith let's just get it back to that and it's probably not going to have hopefully some new reveal of a bloody you know new killer or something like that um god i I hope they do (laughs) but it's just weird isn't it because i think at this point Listen, we'll see the trailer and obviously we'll have more in-depth thoughts then because it, you know, it could look great or whatever. But it's it's just difficult at this point when you've gone back to the well so many times. This really is like the modern day version of what you used to get, really. What was funny in, in like classic horror franchises where you would just continue to milk it and you continue to milk it. And it didn't matter how many bad um, installment after bad installment, as long as there was people still relatively gave a shit about it, you could just keep churning this out. And, th- and that's exactly where we're at with Saw right now. Because um, we could potentially be seeing the fourth bad Saw movie in a row. And like, that's just crazy after starting with six bangers in a row. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else to add on this one? Or should we, should we wait until the trailer? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that I find it fascinating the you know like something like star wars when people are like oh man they transfix on like that gap between episode two and three and they put so much content between that and i'm like man saw is just a whole nother level where like we have <laughs> movies that are like the eight hour gap between like one of the scenes in the previous movie and they turn it into an entire <laughs> like you know 90 minute film and i'm just like i'd love to see the timeline and how these movies go backwards and forwards it would just be insane um you know and and you're right they probably are doing the best they could try to do to appease the fans because we do just want these characters alive and doing what they do best and when they died in the third installment they you know it's always been problematic for the franchise Mm. and um they did as much as they could going forward with it still kind of having those people in and still and, and you know and, and being good and then they kind of went well we can't we can't possibly have them in it anymore 
because they've been dead for so long. So what the hell do we do now? Let's create a load of new killers. That didn't work. Okay, let's just let's just get them playing those roles in in a timeline where they're still alive in this world. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess if I have to have something, <laughs> I'll, that's what I would want the most. I guess. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, what, what would I want? You know, at this point. You know, yeah. I, I just don't really want a Saw movie. Is is the the, the honest answer? No, I, I don't either. I think what I would want is for them to step away, not make a Saw movie for at least eight years, and then give it to a, a creative new mind who's got a new take on it. Um, and it would be a reimagining, you know, where it would be yeah. a potentially about a guy with cancer who, you know, has that same backstory, but it's not going to have any of the same actors. It's not going to be a legacy sequel or any of that bullshit. Like, it's just going to be a fresh start. Mm. Um, and like I say, let someone be creative with it and see what they can come up with. But horror is very very rarely does that like what i'm describing in my head i'm even struggling to think of what the example of Mm -hmm. it would be where where it happens with individual movies i'm thinking of like dawn of the dead is a good example where i think dawn of the dead the you know 2004 or whatever zach schneider's one is has the same essence of the original but is a completely different take on it and and it's one because it's just one film isn't it rather than a franchise yeah, and I just think, like, you know, the remakes have become such a dirty word yeah. that, that they just don't want them. You know, you look at you look at Evil Dead Rise that we've seen this year, and it's like, well, they wanted to call that anything but a remake. Mm. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not a remake, but, um, you know, why not? Why, you know, why be afraid of just putting that film out there and just be like, yeah, we're just retelling the story in a different way, you know? But it's like, no, they have to kind of somehow you know crowbar it in and yeah and they just want them to be these sequel reimagining you know and it's like scream just hit the nail on the head with it when they talk about it and it's just you know it it, it is infuriating that that's where we're at we're actually just like if we have to keep these franchises alive the 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 reboot or the remakes were actually like a decent tool for doing that for some of these yeah yeah and like i say especially if you lean towards trying to make it different because i think Mm. that's what's what's yeah, weird you know, Candyman. yeah you candy know. man exactly like i think it's even evil dead rise like i i kind of like that on paper you know where it is just kind of taking elements of what oh, yeah, it is doing its it own was, thing i think it was more that like can <laughs> candy man's not a great example but like with with evil dead like they were really trying not to say that they were they wanted to try to make it fit in that world and not use the reimagining branding mm-hmm. so much I think that's the yeah. bit where, yeah, like, I think I, I like what they tried to do, which is, yeah, it, it is exactly a, a a reimagining, you know, just like the, 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 the Fede one was as well, you know? Yeah, exactly. Another example as well as the Child's Play film. I think that's mm. another great example of, like, it doesn't, you know, it takes the essence of what that original movie is, but what, when you actually get it, it's so different. Um, and I think that's why I never think about that movie and, and ever compare it to the original Child's Play. And I, we said before, like, it's annoying that there's these two films with the same titles because they're so dramatically different, and I like them both for completely different mm. reasons. And that's what I would love to get with Saw. I think there's so much in Saw, um, and strip it back to what it was originally, which was, you know, know heavily inspired by seven and like a lot more of a gritty thriller um rather than the sort of you know blood fest that it became in the sequels um yeah it would be interesting for sure but uh yeah we'll 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 definitely have more to say on saw as always um 
but next up it's probably not something we'll have as much to speak about because it certainly is not a franchise that speaks to either of us sadly um but there's a new trailer out for a movie that i'd almost forgotten was coming out this year um but it's certainly going to be one of the most talked about horror movies of the year um which is the new exorcist movie um titled the exorcist believer um which is a really bad title um but yeah this is coming out yeah well you gotta you know you gotta fit it into that trilogy mold which we'll get to but um yeah this is coming out uh, around halloween so this is the big movie that yeah, the umser saw just shit itself over and ran away from um but yeah we got the first trailer pretty lengthy trailer for this one um and as i kind of just joked about but yeah this is part of a new trilogy for people that don't know anything about this this is the exact same kind of mold as what they did with halloween recently um almost to a t so it's going to be a trilogy it's a legacy sequel which is kind of bringing in the original we've got a returning cast member as well from that original film um and 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 i'm assuming throwing out the other sequels other than just the original um like i say with it with a trilogy coming i think every other year um and of course it has to be directed by david gordon green at this point as well um so it's ticking all the boxes of those you know those recent halloween movies which we've spoke to death um i think what's way more interesting of a conversation here is that i don't like the exorcist i'm very outspoken about that that in terms of the all-time classic horror movies if i had to pick one that's my least favorite it's absolutely the exorcist um just never ever ever jive with me at any level from early age to now i've never liked any of those films um what about you are you i guess you're similar but probably not as aggressively against the exorcist but you don't really like it do you either no like it it, it certainly i i don't dislike the movie i i haven't really seen it that much it's just one that i'm you know back when these ghost and possession things were infrequent i i didn't seek them out you know the omen was probably the one out of all of them that i watched the most and was more you know, a fan of and all of the other ones that, that people talk about, I very, you know, I haven't really seen and that's The Exorcist included within that. Yeah, so I feel like we're yeah. coming more from a, you know, I, I want to just view this movie on its own because, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you much about, like, I had to look up who this cast member was that was returning. Like, that's my level of understanding of this franchise. And being like, oh, it was the, because I was like, it was not Reagan. Like, that's, you know, I know it wasn't Linda Blair. Um, mm. And that's about my knowledge of The Exorcist. But then I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's her mum from the original movie is kind of the, the woman that we see in this trailer. Um, but yeah, I mean, did you see this trailer? Yeah, and I wouldn't have known that was her, and apart from the screenshot they give us to tell us. Yeah, which to be fair, I so I read that before, but I think having just watched the trailer, I I think it does a good job of explaining it. Like I think I would have got that. I was going to say I was like, oh, okay, it's her mum, like from the trailer. Yeah, Um, which is good. But yeah, what did you make of this trailer? Yeah, like I didn't mind the trailer. Like I, Hmm. I, I kind of watched it and was like, do you know what? Like as I was watching it, I was like, I can get my head around and like exorcist, these exorcism movies way more than these other haunting movies that that are out there. You know, I think having this person that's possessed, that's doing these things, it can have some good scares. It can have some good moments. Um, you know, I quite like the, the whole vibe of them going missing and then kind of, you know, being found and all of that stuff. I quite liked when it started to get more into them just being possessed. I was less into the trailer but I kind of, you know, in in the last few weeks, we have seen so many of these movies, uh, tra- trailers for these movies. And it just feels like the next four or five months is just nothing but these sorts of movies. And this mm. was one where I'm like, 
I'm not I'm not against this one, <laughs> like in comparison to so many of the others that we've seen. Yeah, I actually completely agree. I think out of all the trailers that we've seen, which includes The Nun 2 and A Haunting in Venice and plenty of other ones that I've even forgot Ooh. already, um, this was easily the best trailer. Um, I think it starts so strong. Like, Ooh. I love the setup with these two girls that just go off to school and they go missing. And it it felt so real and brutal, them showing, like, the parents pleading on the news and stuff. Where I was, like, I was really in straight away. Um, and then kind of, you know, they show them arrive back and clearly something's happened to them and then i agree with you that once we get into just like the um the possession stuff it, it i don't know about it because it, it wasn't that good um but i can't tell if that's just the trailer trying to make you know long drawn out creepy scenes feel like very fun mm. and fantastical for a trailer and a lot of i feel like the, the smash cuts and kind of the you know eccentricity of modern day trailers doesn't bode well for a film like this um but maybe i'm just giving the film too much credit but yeah like the second half of the trailer wasn't as good but i definitely walked away with this again as someone who doesn't like the exorcist and obviously does, does not like this director like i thought this looked decent um and i thought it looked way better than i expected you know when we talked about this in the yeah. news and stuff i was like i don't even know if i want to see this because i don't want to just sit there and be bitching about how much i don't like the exorcist or this director for the whole episode whereas i feel like this trailer did enough to be like no i think i can put that to one side and just view this as a film because i think it it, it looked cool there was some there was some real creepy stuff in there and i just love the concept of it being this duo of like best friends that are both possessed i think that's such a good yeah. hook i think that's um, the element the fact that there's this duo as well you know that that it, it does feel like a fresh element that we've not just got one young girl that's possessed you know having these two that that uh you know, we can have two different, uh, you know, families experiencing it and then they can be together and there's just a lot more dynamic that you can do with it, which I which I like. Mm. Um, I did find, because the Exorcist mu music is great. Like, Oh, yeah, iconic. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, my <laughs> God, it was it was awful in the trailer. Like the, the, the little couple of seconds of it like building mm -hmm. up to it and then the way that then when they played it for the first time they felt like it was like we had normally you get this in the movie you know that's what we got in halloween where it was like oh we're gonna get like little little teasers of the music and then it's mm -hmm. gonna hit at a moment this happened in the fucking trailer i was like that's that's a whole new level of i don't even know what but i was not a fan <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you're so good at reminding me of the worst parts of these things because that <laughs> that absolutely, like, oh, that that was the part of the trailer where I went, oh, it's the guy who made Halloween doing yeah. this because that was, like, unbelievable, where I think that is one of the best, if not the best, horror theme ever. It's so fucking good. and But I can't believe by the end of a three-minute trailer it made me not want to hear it, where I was like, how, how have you... And that's exactly what those Halloween movies did, where it's the Halloween music's the best part about Halloween, and they just continually hit you over the head with so many different versions of it that I just hated it by the end of those films. And yeah, I, I couldn't believe how much that annoyed me, and I'd, uh, I had blocked that from my memory until this moment. But yeah, again, hopefully that's just a bad trailer choice but like i'm completely with you and based upon what they did with that iconic theme in the last films i think it's gonna be exactly the same is that you're gonna constantly hear those first three bars of the exorcist for the first hour and a half of that film like and then they'll finally hit it at the end um so yeah that that was annoying but uh yeah i'm definitely more positive on this than i was expecting um 
which is surprising given a multitude of reasons but certainly the fact that i just don't enjoy many trailers and this was one that was like oh yeah this Ooh. is this has made me like this more which is the entire intent of every trailer um but but just has the opposite the, you know the adverse effect on me because i just hate spoilers so much um but yeah good, good bit of horror news there i'm sure we'll be talking about both those films for a while um but shall we talk about not a horror film yeah why not eh? let's talk about oppenheimer So yeah, like we said at the start, just having a bit of fun this week. Allow us that. <laughs> this is our this is our holiday away from horror. Um, checking out the new Christopher Nolan movie on the IMAX screen, um, which is always a joy. Seeing it back to back weeks. Um, obviously, we got to see Mission Impossible on that gorgeous screen last week. Um, now we got to see a very different film. In fact. Mm-hmm um in every single way um but yeah where, where do you even want to start with this one i don't i don't know <laughs> would, you, would you like me to do a plot synopsis for a change do you want to i can do yeah i feel i feel like i've got it all right go on so yeah for people that don't know anything about this movie and i'm sure it's, it's difficult because it's like how do you even explain who oppenheimer is if you don't know but essentially um this movie is a biopic like so many of the recent um you know famous ones like elvis there was, there was once a war <laughs> <laughs> yes there was yeah how yeah how like granular do you want to go so there was this austrian painter um no we're not going that granular um but yeah, essentially, this is yeah the most recent of these um, you know named biopics. Uh, Oppenheimer, who yeah uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer, who's kind of um, well known as the father of the atomic bomb. Um, obviously, he's a legendary name um, physicist who yeah was part of the development of the first nuclear um, weapons in America specifically. Um, this movie is based upon a book called American Prometheus, which kind of details his whole life and death and is just his entire story, um, which is what this movie tries to do in a in a lean three hours, um, which, you know, we'll get to the runtime. I don't think it feels like a three hour long movie. I think a lot of it feels rushed at times, which is crazy. Um, but I think it's just the kind of story of what and the life that this man lived that, that it easily could have been like a, you know, 15 hour Netflix docuseries that still wouldn't have covered everything. Um, and also this time jumps, um, this film jumps around in time a lot. Um, but we essentially start with him kind of in his earlier years, um, him studying he goes to europe to study physics to learn new ideas um and then eventually takes them back to america um during the course of this this kind of world war ii breaks out and the the american government are obviously trying to fight the nazis um and he is tasked with kind of heading this major project of you know building the first nuclear weapons because um that's what the nazis are going to try and do um so again yeah we're jumping around time a lot but that's the the breadth of the kind of timeline um we also see a lot of i guess flash forward in time to a sort of deposition 
on Oppenheimer, everything that they did um, in this little kind of startup town called Los Alamos, um, which we'll get to. Um, but that's essentially where the Manhattan, Manhattan Project took place when they were making and developing these nuclear weapons. Um, and yeah, it's a deposition on um, whether or not Oppenheimer can still have his security clearance. Um, he's been accused of a lot of sort of political crimes, his ties to communist Russia at the time. Um as well as this other character, Louis Strauss, who's kind of played by Robert Downey Jr. as like his arch nemesis in the film. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different threads. So I feel like that's the overall kind of gist of this film. Is it, it is the life story of Oppenheimer, but it's it's generally centered around his time in the Manhattan Project, juxtapositioned with this deposition later on in life, and kind of his down, his political downfall, as it were. Um, anything else you want to touch upon? Obviously, there's a lot of characters that we haven't gone into. For example, Kitty, um, and what was Florence's character? Um, is it Lola? No, what is it? Uh, Jean Tatlock. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's there's plenty of other characters to get into. But I feel like that's sort of the gist, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so many like names and faces that. Mm. Like, firstly, um, famous faces and people that you know, names and faces, but also then the characters that they play. There's so yeah. many callbacks to them. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, this this is, you know, on paper, this is a, a three-hour movie where there's very little action and it's mostly just talking and discussion about quite high-level science and quite a high level uh espionage and 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 political uh warfare and 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 a lot of that and and if you describe that to me i'm like well i'm giving this one a miss then (laughs) um but this is the most fast-paced three-hour talking movie i've ever seen in my life where i never felt i never felt bored and i always felt like can we just slow down and talk a bit longer, please? Yeah. Like, yeah, which is such a bizarre thing. Like, I've never had a feeling about a movie like this before where I'm like, you know, I think I think talking about Mission Impossible is a great, like, juxtaposition of it where, like, that was a two-hour 40 movie that was over two hours of pure action where it went in a blink of an eye. Whereas, like, for this to go as quickly as it did... To, to really have nothing in the way of cinematic action, you know, mm. there's there's obviously the um, the the test of of, um, of of the bomb, which is a big moment in the film. And other than that, the real kind of cinematic kind of experience is these little moments in Oppenheimer's head when he has these like it's almost like the vision's clearing and he's like sparks flying, and you kind of see it like what is going on in his head in like this image. And other than that, like it's it's just pure conversation and and mm. pure setup. But it but it's truly fascinating. Um, you know, I think the movie obviously, you know, be, being Nolan and being you know his the level of filmmaking that he can produce, it it it, it shouldn't just be said like that but but you know you you, you kind of take it for granted that the movie's going to look and be as good as it is all round but then the the cast that you've got in it you know Killian Murphy is just exquisite in this you know and and seeing Robert Dowie Jr in the in the kind of role as is you know his his arch nemesis you know he was absolutely fantastic all of the the cast you know like you say when we get Kitty with Emily Blunt you know she she's fantastic just 
just everyone. Matt Damon was was knocked out of the park. Just every one of these people just just played it to perfection. And I think that's what makes this movie stand out. That just everyone's in their A game, and it really does feel like, um, you know, I think we've we've had it with like or at least we've felt it with Tarantino for years where he'll get these people and he'll get like, you know, Brad Pitt and Inglorious Bastards just doing this, like, just, just like knocking it out of the park because, you know, he's having the time of his life with a director that he's just having a great time with. And I think that's exactly what we're getting with Nolan at this point, that these people are just having a great time and he's letting them have this great time. And it, it's, it makes the movie stronger. Mm. Um, I think, as well like just Killian Murphy is like obviously we've spoken about him recently in our rewatch of Red Eye but I'm so glad like he's back on our big screens because even as someone that watched um um Peaky Blinders and I think like he's great in it and it was iconic when the first few seasons came out but that show really overstayed its welcome and ran its course and it, it's probably still not over. It's probably going to get on our big screens but I'm just glad that he's not just tethered to that because I feel like I've not seen him like in recent years outside of that in, in, in much at all. Mm. Um, so like I'm, I'm pleased after seeing this to, to remind me that, you know, I guess, you know, probably, you know, we got, we got what quiet place and he was in Dunkirk as well. Weren't he a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but like, I can't remember that much in recent years that he was in. Um, so yeah, like just seeing him in this reminded me like how much I love him on the big screen as this, this, you know, just absolute world-class actor. And so, yeah, it's, it's a weird one where it's like, it's, it's hard to unpack like as a movie to discuss for the podcast, because it is just three hours of talking, you know, yeah, there's not, there's not particular, yeah. Like there isn't a particular scene that I want to kind of draw on and, and moment within the film. Like, you know, obviously the, the test of the bomb I thought was, was really, you know, w- w- was a great, you know, just combination of everything um but obviously what you know this movie knows that it, it knows that people are going to be watching it knowing nothing it knows that people will be going into this movie watching knowing everything and and it knows that people will be going into it knowing some of what happened you know i knew a bomb got made and i knew that it uh caused a lot of problems you know it, it, it killed a lot of people so when they're doing the test and they're like oh does the world end i'm like oh, no no the world doesn't end like I, I I know this and and you know I think most you know so they kind of they're amping up tension but but to something that we know you know it, it's very true to to the history or feels very true like everything I saw and it was stuff that you know tallied with what I knew I don't know how much embellishment was done in certain areas but I think when you've got something like that it's hard to really try mm. to create this tension and everything else. And so the movie doesn't, it just tells the story. It's like, no, this is just a really fascinating story and a story that should be told. So we're just going to focus on that. And we're not going to have all these twists and turns and, you know, um, bring people into it. Cause I think like something like, you know, Hitler and and the Germans and stuff, it, it's touched upon, but obviously mm. this isn't the part of war that really is to do with them. You know, Nazi Germany is defeated by the time the bomb is, 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 is live, you know? So it, it, he's not a huge part of the movie. You know, I think um, the, the only real surprise for me in the movie was the Einstein stuff. I didn't, I didn't think they'd have as much or, or mm-hmm. any of that. Like I was surprised when he popped up. 
um, I, I didn't really know of, of, of their kind of relationship or, or was expecting him to be in multiple scenes, quite, quite pivotal scenes of the movie mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that aside, I mean, the movie, the, yeah, it, it was fantastic, but it's one that like, I, I just don't remember seeing a movie like this where I just feel so strange about it. Where I'm like, it was great. And people are like, why? And I'm like, it was just great. Like, I just like seeing people talk. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know it's I mean? really yeah, it's so weird because I do think I agree with you that like on paper, this just shouldn't work as well as like not that it shouldn't work, but as well as it does because I, I think this this over delivers on everything. Um, where I think if you're telling a three hour story about you know this physicist and kind of his history and what he did, um, like you like you rightly said that the what most filmmakers would try and do would be to either over embellish stuff or bring in other parts of the story to kind of make it more sexy and have the Nazis play more of a role or, you know, like I couldn't believe there wasn't like a car chase in this film where I was like, I was like, he's got to find a way of getting a car chase in it. Like, like he just won't be able to help himself. And it's like, no, it's like this conversation took place in a boardroom. So that's how it's going to be portrayed in this film. But we're going to make it as exciting as a car chase because the level of production, the way it's shot, the score in the background, but then the level of the acting, which is across the board, almost like unlike anything I've already seen before. Because I think as we discussed time and time again, like we see bad horror films this year where we're like the acting was good. And I think with that, and as I rightly say in those episodes, that's the level we're at now. Where we, we can see shit horror films that have, like, noteworthy performances. Because we're just so blessed in that category across the board in film that the acting in general has never been better than the year, you know, 2023. Like, it's just unbelievable how many good actors there are across the board from from the absolute A-list and, and A-level performance like this to, to very low-level indie films, you know, that you'll see at a Fright Fest. You will get amazing performances in, in even those smaller films. But then to be reminded of the absolute a class which this film is it really reminded me of like when when the what the last of us was for tv i feel like this this film is for film which is that you have probably eight actors that you could do a whole podcast on discussing the nuances of their performance um but i have to start with killian because he he blew me away like i feel like we've been so lucky to see you know his career unfold in front of our eyes and it feels so weird that he was that guy in 28 Days Later, you know, that woke yeah, up in the film. Yeah, like that was 20 <laughs> years ago. Um, and now he's the lead in a way that, like, is unbelievable. Like, I, I don't think there's ever been a Nolan lead like this um, because he's literally in almost every scene. You know, when they're not when he's not in it, they're constantly saying the character's name. Like, he's everything. And I think this movie doesn't work without the perfect Oppenheimer. And I think Killian, his performance is what I think makes the movie so easy to watch, is he goes on such an unbelievable range of emotions. And I think that's what where the actual horror of this worked so well, is that they don't show you stuff. You know, which is another point which we'll get to in terms of like they don't show you Hiroshima and Nagasaki getting bombed or anything like that. But I think you feel such pain 
um, and exhaustion and, and all of these emotions purely through like mostly just Killian's facial expressions yeah. is mostly how it's portrayed. Like, again, as you said earlier, we get these moments when we go right into the mind of Oppenheimer and we get some visuals to accompany it, usually just use of light, but it's mostly through sound. And then it's just the sounds of what he's seeing with just his facial reactions. And like those scenes are harrowing in a way that is like unbelievable given how little you, we, you actually see. Where I think a lot of people, if you're not thinking about it too hard, will think they saw stuff because Ooh. they'll they'll misremember it. They'll go, oh yeah, I couldn't believe they showed you the devastated streets after the bombing. And it's like, no, they didn't. They showed you, you know, on Killian's face, Oppenheimer's reaction and what he was going through mentally and through the use of, again, amazing sound, which I think is the main reason to see this movie in IMAX is for that sound. Um, but his performance just, just carries it so well and sells it. He, he sells this whole film. Where I think there's a lot to talk about here that is great, of course. But I think if you had a even like a B plus performance or, or something around that area, this film wouldn't have felt as special. Um, and that's that'll be my biggest takeaway. Is there's so many things to love about this film, but it'll, it'll remind me like this is. It. People have already spoke about whether this is, you know, Christopher Nolan's best movie and will it be remembered as his most notable, mo most notable movie and stuff like that, which I think is very difficult to say in the moment. But what I feel 100% safe on saying is that this is absolutely Killian Murphy's, you know, moment to oh, shine. This is his masterpiece. Um, and, and I would love to see him outdo himself in the future. But I think it's just one of those things where it all came together. He has the right look. He's the right age profile. He's the right everything, let alone just then his level of acting talent is so is so remarkable in this film. Um, so, yeah, I think the acting is easily like the standout i think when he has a sparring partner is probably my favorite scenes of the film um for me most notably it would be matt damon mm. um the back and forth with his character and then the jason clark character who's kind of like the lead sort of prosecutor in one of the deposition sequences we see a lot um i think those scenes are when you really Again, Killian's facial expressions alone are amazing, but I love when he's going back and forth with someone and, and he's really getting to dive deep into the character. He's being questioned about all of his motives. And I love that he's portrayed as such a flawed character as well. Like they keep putting it out there where it's like, well, you did this, but now you're saying this. Why is that? And like him trying to comprehend with his own uh, miscomings and being like, yeah, I know what I did and I, and I know I feel shitty for it and there's nothing I can do about it. I think he's such a... He's a fascinating person. That that was like my biggest takeaway from this entire film. Really, was like I want to learn so much about Oppenheimer, um, even though we already did from this film. But again, like in terms of the morality of what he done, which is what I think is the entire crux of this film, yeah. is dealing with you. You you know you've created the weapon that could that could end the world. It hasn't, but it doesn't mean it it won't. Um, yeah. And I think that's what's so fascinating about this whole film is like in those moments, those were the things that really got me. And like you mentioned it where there were scenes when they would talk about the potential ramifications of what he was building and yeah. how obviously that's not what happened. But my takeaway was kind of like I feel like I was watching a film that explained how the world ended. Yeah. And it's like, but it just hasn't happened yet. Well, that's, like, that's kind of the stalemate that we've been in. Mm. <laughs> You know, which is incredible. Um, and I think as well, it just, they really play into the morality of 
that decision that he had to make where it was like, do I make it and have it in the hands of the side I'm on or mm. do I let the other side get it with their scientists? Who's going to, who's going to get it first? And, and, and when we do get it first, then how many people are we going to kill? And he, you know, the way he disassociated himself away from it, where he was like, I'm, I'm making this weapon because I need to, and, and I'm not the one that's going to fire it. You know, it's not, the blood isn't on my hands. And, and I think it was when Jason Clark's figure, uh, character is, um, um, really probing him and saying, well, you were in the room when they had the 10, uh, cities and and you helped pick that city like you weren't disassociated from it you you were pivotal in that fucking decision making process like don't pretend you didn't and then like just the the look on on killian's face when it was just like the gravitas that yeah the these you know hundreds and thousands of people that were killed and affected by it were directly you know the blood is on your hands you know, really, you are the father of this. Your face is on Time Magazine. You know, you, you can't be the face of Time Magazine and not have the blood on your hands as well. And I think, like, that was, those were the thoughts that, that kept with me when I when I left the cinema, was the, the kind of, the weight and the kind of, in particular, not, not, not I mean, I don't think you can really spoil, put spoilers up because this mm. is just, history that yeah know, like, yeah spoiling world war Two. do you know what i mean but like when we get to the final image of this movie and we see kind of him almost in celebration of it and it's kind of gone full circle yeah. and it's like you know how does a man like that feel and i think on a daily basis he feels different because does he walk around america thinking i kept this on every you know kept this going people uh, alive on in this country because of what i did these families had their 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 um husbands and fathers come home you know and and a, a bomb didn't land on our home shores and kill hundreds of thousands of people like i did that or does he look on the the other side and look at the hundreds of thousands of people that he did kill directly with the weapon he made you know the the how an individual weighs that in their mind just blows my mind, and I think it mm-hmm. was the reason why I talk about it so much because it's not we're not talking about the movie here is that that is so well represented in Killian's performance, and like you said, I, I think it really does come to the forefront when he is being pushed by someone. Um, I think that is the movie, though. I, yeah, I think that's what, yeah. Uh, yeah, like you say, that is, it's purely about the morality of it and, and kind of what, again, the reason why you don't show the bombs, for example, going off is because this entire story is told from the perspective of Oppenheimer. So, mm. you know, he wasn't there. And I think they, they portray that in such an awesome way when they finally do mm. finish the testing, which is kind of the most extensive use that we see of the bomb, because obviously that was Oppenheimer's first-hand impression. But then the moment it's complete, that conversation he has with Matt Damon's character is amazing. You know, where he's just kind of asking him questions about, so when's the, is the president going to use it? Where is he going to use it? Oh, can you take me to the Pentagon so I can be part of those discussions? And and the kind of look, and again, an amazing performance from Matt Damon, where he's just yeah. like, you surely you're not this deluded. Like, you're asking me questions that you, you're a smart person. You know the answer to this. Like, you know your role in this is now finished. 
Yeah, you know your dog. Yeah, you have no say in any of this. Is like you were just the guy that we needed to get us to the next stage. And now this is over. The second we see that bomb driven away on the back of the truck, it's the last time we ever see it, and it's because it's the last time Oppenheimer ever saw it. Um, you know, and once it's out of his hands, that's it. And then he obviously has to deal with the morality that he helped build something that was used against people. But I loved that. Like that's what well, that's what this entire film I think was about, and it's about getting into the politics of it all which again is something that i usually wouldn't care about but the kind of the use of american politics how he kind of had these sort of communist ideas when he was younger that he kind of grew out of that were always used against him the fact that when he was um when he first got into it i think it was roosevelt was the president that they that they mention that we don't see he spanned multiple you know yeah so like roosevelt was one who he clearly liked politically and then throughout the bulk of the movie it's truman who we do eventually see who is someone who he doesn't like politically um and so that's a really interesting thing as well of like you know he's trying to serve his country but he does have very different political views to different presidents um and i think again that's something that they get across so well um is the fact that yeah he wants to he he keeps trying to position it like he's doing it for the good like he's also just doing it as a scientist because i think that's another thing that's super interesting when you're dealing with his profession is that like scientists deal in in actualities they don't necessarily need to or should deal in morality choices um and what's right or wrong they just have to deal in absolute so when they say can you split the atom the answer is yes or no the answer isn't should you split the atom um and i think yeah they don't deal in consequence they deal in they deal in fact and then you know and 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 um theory and then the realization of that theory yeah you know that gets handed over to someone else yeah like that's that's not your call to decide what to do with this information and i think that's what's so again fascinating about this 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 very specific period of human history which is obviously under this kind of war which is super fascinating anyway an actual world war um and this kind of race where the nazis clearly have a lead but they're clearly making mistakes where they don't want to trust these jewish scientists so that's why they're able to like recruit a lot of the world's best scientists to this location to give america the upper edge at this time um and like you said it's funny how it it ultimately was something that they thought was going to play a big part in the war, but then didn't, um, because mm. like they like they mentioned in the in the film, by the time the the bo- the, the testing was complete, Hitler had already blown his brains out in a bunker. Um, so it, and then you know obviously it gets used on the Japanese. So like it's there's so much in here that I find fascinating. I think like the story is unbelievable, and that's why um, I mentioned that it's three hours. I, I didn't look at the time once and I feel like it, no. it flew past the, the pace of this is unreal. When, when we're talking about just conversations of people talking, a lot of the times it will be like, and so here, you know, Oppenheimer went to, to Cambridge to study and it'll be like a 10 second interaction. And then suddenly he's somewhere else. And then suddenly he's somewhere else. And like immediately, I don't know about you, but like within five minutes of this film starting, I kind of leant forward in my chair and was like right this is one of those movies like i need to pay attention i can't blink i need to be thinking and remembering all of these names and locations because if i let my mind wander for like a couple of scenes i'm going to just lose track of this completely um yeah definitely i I had to get my pipe out and like put put my little thinking cap on and, and was ready to go yeah i think as well the i think probably the best scene you know of the movie for me really was when the when the bomb does hit and and they and and it's just the the um unanticlimactic kind of way that they're just all chilling and then they just they just hear it on the radio like everyone mm-hmm. else 
Like they just hear that news and to see the reaction because, you know, it's like these people worked for years to achieve this. So there's there's people that are celebrating like crazy, and then there's people that are vomiting in the streets because they know they've just like almost committed genocide, <laughs> you know. Mm. And it's like you know, but then other people are celebrating because they have actually stopped genocide of their race. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like this weird, like you know, this this whole scene of this this town of like people reacting in different ways and like all of the reactions are just, you know, for what they're going through. Um, and I just thought it was so well done with obviously the camera being primarily focused on Killian, who's, who's going through or Oppenheimer, who's going through all of these emotions on screen at the same time as all of these other characters. Yeah. And yeah. And it, and it was just, you know, and I think like that, it's just the understate, you know, it really was just like, you know, an, an artist that's got, all the colors in the world in his palette, but he's like, no, I'm just going to pick these half a dozen. Like, I don't need that car chase. Like I know mm-hmm. I can do a car chase, but I, there, there's no car chase. Like, yeah, yeah. I could, I could blow up a plane. There's no blown up planes. Like, no, no chill. Yeah. Like, it's fascinating. You know, he it, made this after tenant. Cause I think mm. tenant was like, you know, it's him doing a brand new original. IP. Him doing every color. Yeah, exactly. That was the most Nolan thing of like, I'm going to do sci-fi. I'm going to do time travel. I'm going to do all of this batshit crazy shit that doesn't make any goddamn sense. And I feel like he, you know, I, it's interesting with Tenet because I've seen it twice and I, I really enjoyed it the first time at the cinema and I really did not like it when I watched it at home. Um, thought it was probably his worst film. Um, and so I kind of have a mixed reaction where I like, I don't know how I feel about it now because I've seen it twice and had two very different reads on it. Um, you need the rubber mat. Yeah, I just, oh God, it's so... I don't want to have to bring up the boring tenant conversation again, but like the sound design in that movie is fucking terrible. And and that, that was the thing I was most worried about going into this film um, because it started with Dark Knight Rises, which I didn't have a problem with because I thought it suited the main character to not fully understand what he was saying. But I got the frustrations. Yeah. Tenet, it made no sense whatsoever, whereas like you just couldn't hear what people were saying because the sound design was terrible. And then this film, I could see people criticizing for because there are times when the background score is like unbelievably loud in the IMAX. But for me, it it worked perfectly because I feel like it always came in at times when you weren't necessarily needing to hear every word. I think with Tenor, I was losing specific plot points and because I was struggling to follow the plot so hardly. Whereas with this, it would be like, yeah, you're in the middle of a deposition and obviously, and then it's like, Oppenheimer's kind of zoning out you know and he's thinking about the ramifications and that's when the score comes in so I don't need to hear what every person in that room is saying at that time did that make sense to you kind of is that how you read it and did you did you realize how just kind of like I love the sound in general but at times it is mind-numbingly loud which I think works awesome for this film but I could see how people would be turned off by it yeah I mean there was a point where I'm like because the because the IMAX as well is just so fucking yeah. bad. There were a couple of times where I was like, "This is too much." Like, because because again, like you know, when you watch Mission Impossible, you've got two hours of carnage, yeah. so it's always louder than your face, so you kind of get used to that volume. But just at times where it's like it, there are a couple that hit me like a jump scare in a horror movie. Yeah, they are like jump because, scares. Yeah, because it's just like it's it's so quiet, and then it's just like this crazy loud noise, but. It didn't piss me off, but I did feel at times it did go too far. Um, but but it didn't get to the point that 
the sound got in the way of the dialogue, which is incredibly important when this movie, mm. you know, is as strong as it is. The only, the only last thing I did, you know, I've touched upon it a little bit, but I really, you know, Matt Damon was phenomenal yeah. in this as well. So good. Like, I think there's two, there's two guaranteed he, Oscar noms here, and I think Killian as yeah. lead and Matt as supporting has to be there. Definitely, because I think with you know with Killian and and with Oppenheimer, like the setup and everything was great to learn about him but it was the second matt damon appeared that we that's when the movie got to another level for me that was when i was like oh it's amping up the war's on we're getting that and it's just this level of recruitment and manipulation where it's like was he the best man for the job i don't know whether he was oppenheimer but he was the one that they could manipulate best Mm. and be be the born the best because of everything that they knew about him and they and they already saw the writing on the wall. Like day one, they knew, oh, okay, he can be our full guy as well. <laughs> yeah. Not only can he create this, we can blame him for this when the time is right. And I, I loved it. I like, obviously, you know, that's not that's not Nolan. That's not anyone. Else. It is them giving me that. But the the story exists in the world yeah. already. But but them but their execution was was you know just just absolutely exquisite and and yeah matt damon was phenomenal in this oh yeah like say it's absolutely both where like i'm sure this book is fascinating but to Mm. to get that across in a three-hour epic is something that i think only christopher nolan could do like i think that's what's so crazy about this and why i think people will talk about it as being his best film where i prefer when he's making stuff like inception in in estella for me they're like untouchable but i love what he was able to achieve here because i I don't think anyone else could have made what this film is as entertaining and interesting as christopher nolan did where i think he lets the characters breathe at times but then he also can add in you know his great sound and his great just like cinematic vision you know he's one of those people that you know like an edgar wright who is like pined over every frame and he's he's thinking about how does it look on the screen that we saw on you know like that's the way to see this film where this isn't a traditional blockbuster like mission impossible is it's you know like i say it's mostly people talking in rooms but like i felt like it was worthy to see on the big screen i feel like i needed to also the way it's shot with the imax um is a lot of close-ups which again only factors into the fact of if you're if you've got an imax camera an inch away from an actor's face it's showing everything like a micro movement on their cheek is going to come across on the screen so you are you are kind of screwing over your actors in the sense of there is nowhere to hide in this film like if they, if they do one single beat that's out of character you will see it and there isn't in three hours because everyone is so exceptionally well directed and, and obviously incredibly uh, you know acted that it just works um there, there was one element of this movie that i'm kind of torn on and i don't know how i feel about it and it might be one of the only negatives and i'm really curious about your take on it and it's someone who's definitely worth talking about especially because of her history in horror films um is Florence Pugh in this film um and her character of gene tatlock it's it's a fascinating part of the film again not necessarily for good reasons for me and i'm i kind of i'm struggling to even verbalize what my issue with it was but i found it to be slightly jarring with the rest of the film um almost again maybe this needed more time but when they first met it was almost like laughable how quickly things 
like transpired like he meets her and within like 10 seconds they're having sex um it felt like a james bond movie. yeah like but a james bond movie that went we're just going to show you all of the sex as well and yeah so that was really jarring first of all how how you've got a you know a movie with a lot of spinning plates to get through but they're they're jumping you in with this relationship they're showing the sex really full-on um and with it being these major actors as well like i found it really jarring especially from florence where this felt more like something that you would see as a breakout performance you know like like margot robbie in the wolf of wall street like she's not doing that now and and it was weird to me to be like florence Pugh is so successful and so big and now she's doing a role which is very small in comparison to everyone else in this film and it's mostly just sex scenes and i i don't know i found that to be interesting and slightly jarring and a bit off-putting um what and because I, I was i was waiting for there to be more to her character and there sadly just wasn't um but what did you make of her because i feel like that what i've said might be a controversial opinion but i just i didn't know i i could i didn't to me it didn't fit tonally with the rest of the film i guess is the easiest way to put I it i think i think you thought about it far too much mate i was just watching the, the scenes unfold and having a great time <laughs> that's, that's, that's what i was you think that's why christopher put it in there he's like we got we got yeah, something we're in this yeah yeah like I, I don't know where you were what you were doing no i'm only joking i think um you're right in that her character i i just found it strange because i think with kitty you really understood their relationship and their dynamic so quickly and it wasn't explained mm. where it wasn't this unconditional perfect love story for no, them it was convenient it was more this, than anything it yeah but it was more than convenience as well it was this real bond that's just not like a traditional marriage yeah. but it's a deep bond like she is with him throughout his life yeah they get that across pretty well and they do that so well and it's so understated and not explained whereas with the florence character you know uh, the you know apart uh, you know the the, the she, she when she first comes on and they yeah they instantly get together and then there's the whole like don't give me flowers and like mm. tucking the flowers away and getting pissed off with it but then calling him and stuff and it was just like i just thought to myself like she's just kind of annoying and like killian's just you know or oppenheimer should just you know he's better off without her and this whole kind of like um you know him being this womanizer and stuff just kind of it didn't it didn't it felt like an embellishment to, to the story as opposed to what actually happened mm. because you know in my you know it's what we always joke about that like these these nerdy people make themselves like sex gods for horror movies <laughs> and it's like yeah. this physicist that's like this like just crazy top level physicist was also james bond yeah like i mean i know it's killian murphy but but you know in real life was was oppenheimer this this much of a pimp yeah and it yeah i don't know it just felt a bit strange that and, and then the fact that she was so it you know the whole her not wanting you know her like throwing away the flowers and all of that like i know women are complicated but i mean god she was just she just made no sense to me to the point where i'm like if I was him, I'd be like, I know that's Florence Pugh, but God, this is too much. Like fucking. Hell. I feel like that is that's ultimately what he did, really. Um, yeah, yeah. But it was yeah, but far too late. Oh, God, it was just strange. Like I feel like this movie mm. 
regardless of who it is which is one thing but i feel like this movie just didn't need like copious sex scenes it, it really felt unnecessary and it feels like because this movie's rated r in america which is yeah. going to have a huge impact on who can see this movie at the box office and so it's yeah we well, think it's a 15 here yeah and you know really it's yeah, it's it's for those scenes definitely alone because because the then, rest of the film you know, they're talking about a lot of stuff, but they're not showing it. And so like it would be a you know twelve A over here, and I'm assuming a PG thirteen in America, and like that is a massive difference in terms of box office. And so you're giving up a lot. Then I think tonally it's weird to put sex scenes in this story about the, the guy who invented the, the the atomic bomb. But then the fact that it's this mega star doing a lot of nudity for the first time as well, like it's just there's so much weirdness here where I really want to know. I want to know why she did it. I want to know why Christopher put it in the film. Like it's I have so that that was the only part of the story where I just had so many questions that weren't like you know to do with the actual plot it was just like why did you make these decisions like everything else was the only questions i had were just to further the movie of like oh i really want to know more about the the political background and you know why did strauss really have this vendetta against oppenheimer was it just because he embarrassed him this one time like and you know and let alone like the 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 einstein involvement and like there's so many fascinating character threads that i have more questions about in a positive way and this was just the one that left me a bit like that was weird and i have read a bit about jean because i wanted to know more about her as a character and there is some interesting stuff in there that they maybe could have spent more time on um because you know this is a mild spoiler but like the character's death is one that is kind of um basically there is a lot of people that think she was killed that, that she didn't kill herself right. and that is portrayed in the movie with with like one shot of of we see like a, a gloved hand pushing her head in the water um which is mm. kind of at that point it's difficult to tell what's real and what's fake because we we keep again as we keep mentioning we keep going into oppenheimer's mind and he sees a lot of visions so i think they do such a good job of kind of putting that theory in there not leaning one way or the other and then you could just be like oh did that actually happen or is that what oppenheimer's thinking happened so i think there's some the way her character ends has some stuff but yeah she needed more we needed more i think more screen time if anything I just love, I mean, I could have done with more of those scenes. Like, I just love, I just love the fact that you're sat there during those scenes with these thoughts in your head. Like, <laughs> what made Florence do this? Like, what was Dolan's choice of having this sex scene? In I really was. I yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy it. <laughs> I'll have to just look at those scenes in a bubble and I'm sure I'll find some enjoyment in them. But yeah, it was, it was just strange to me. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there probably should be like two cuts of the movie. Mm. Just take them out and have them as a DVD. Oh extra. yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Just like, do you like Florence? I'm like, yeah, I do. And then just have that bit. And then, and then, yeah, like then have it as a, as a 12A for, for, the rest of the and then you go watch that bit on your own in a separate room um but uh yeah it's a weird one to end on i feel like we've got we've got to like go to a different point now because we can't end on you have to talk for another 10 minutes now, well, it's also, to, I, just to, I don't want to i don't want to end on the only slight negative i have another small positive again just talking about cast is like i love seeing josh hartner again in this film because yeah. i feel like he disappeared for like years and we now see him in black mirror and this and it was just a great reminder of like he's fucking awesome man like put him as the lead in a in a horror film please like he's so good i just want him as a lead in something yeah like in a movie because he is oh, i want him yeah, as like a creepy and... like you know maniac level killer like yeah. a, a serial killer that we're following like yeah i think he's great oh that'd be great but i just think as well like that was the thing because like josh harner i was like you know when he when he pops up in the movie i was like hang on 
that's your trauma. Yeah. I was like, hang on a second. And that happened like so oh, It's hilarious, in isn't it? It, it, it where... almost is for comedic effect when they go, here's an A-list actor that pops up who doesn't yeah. even speak in a scene. Like, it's so funny. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's the thing that, like, you know, you're, you're watching this... Um, uh, you know, you're watching this movie and yeah, you're just, you're just kind of like blown away by like, yeah, you're, you're suddenly an hour and a half in, you have an actor pop up that, yeah, just hasn't been in the rest of the movie. And you're like, well, you're normally the lead mate, you know, and you're just, you're just in this one scene. <laughs> it is, it is crazy. Yeah, it really is. But yeah, this, this great, this movie, this movie is like, like I say, it's difficult to talk about. I think we've done a good job of it, but it's it's an experience would be my final point, yeah. was that I don't... You can't compare this to many normal films. No. It's something that I'm glad exists, and I'm super glad I experienced it. I don't know when I'm ever going to be in the mood for something like this again. It's funny, because no, the, the second it ended, I was like, oh, I liked that, but I don't think I'd ever watch it again. But then even a few days later, now I'm like, no, I would watch this again. Like, not straight away, but, like, I will watch this again. Um, it has to be the right the right circumstance, doesn't it? Yeah, like, it's going to be harder at home, because the cinema's the perfect way to experience this. You need to carve out the time. You need to not be thinking about the time and not worrying about other things, and you need to just go in and almost like what you want most films to be in the sense of you have to switch your brain off you you can't be thinking about anything else watching oppenheimer like you will not be able to follow it there's just too much going on and and even then I you'll struggle sit there with like wikipedia though and like and just like every time a character pops up <laughs> just pause it and then spend like half an hour researching yeah. like that's going to be my next time watching it that's where it's going to be 12 actually. hours well, the first, yeah, like, the, oh, okay. the first 30 minutes when he's sort of in academia and it's like we yeah. see Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Branagh's character, who's this famous physicist. We see um, mm. Heisenberg, don't we? We see, you know, all of these different names. And yeah, I just want to pause and be like, who is? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't remember the Kenneth Branagh character name, but I want to just Google him and be like, oh, OK. What the fuck did he yeah. do? What did he do? He's a Danish. Like, oh, okay. He's a Danish physicist that won the Nobel Peace Prize. Like, there's again, everyone yeah. has such an interesting yeah. backstory. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh yeah, he just he just invented like I don't know something <laughs> obscene that we use every day now. I'm like, okay, sweet. And he was in the movie for like you know ten minutes. Yeah. There's just I, I didn't even was, like, like, in two scenes. Um, Casey Affleck's character is so good in this film as well. Like, there's there's mm. so many people in this film that are all just amazing. Um, yeah, well, when you said about you know people, you know people not talking, obviously like Rami mm. Malek, like he just kind of like pops up and uh, he's just like there in the background grinning in the scene when he first pops up, and yeah. I'm like, is that it? <laughs> and then and then like he then he comes back in the final parts of the movie, and I'm like yeah you know this guy is leading movies and he's just like two and a half hours into the nolan movie just grinning away in the background yeah it's crazy we've got like um matthew modine from stranger things is in this as well yeah. like there's, there's just there's so many people like it's it's one of my favorite casts ever assembled i think because mm. i love everyone in this film like yeah. there's like 20 yeah. actors that i all collectively liked anyway and they're all brilliant in this film um i think that's the thing that normally when you have a big ensemble like this there'll be someone mm. pop up where you're just like they might they, they give a good performance or whatever but i'm like oh, i just don't really like you normally yeah and you know i'm like oh i don't want to like <laughs> throw any actor <laughs> under the bus because i can't even really think of anyone mm. but like sometimes you just watch something and then like yeah 
massively into it um yeah someone pops up and you're like oh for fuck's sake really but this one just kind of like it kept giving us bangers every time yeah like someone like jason clark's like that where like i'm i love him Mm. every time i see him and he's he's been in a lot of shit that i don't like and i'm always like bummed like i feel like um matt smith would have been like the icing on the cake for a movie like this because he's so good and and obviously we've seen him in some amazing stuff obviously but like he's in some stuff that's really not good as well and so i feel like like this movie's so collectively awesome that when you when you know you've got an actor like that that you already love you know that this is just going to be so terrific because they're going to be given a role that suits them perfectly and they're going to absolutely knock it out of the park just like everyone else has um because i do want to mention just end briefly like florence is great in this film like acting wise and i think she really gets across the kind of desperation the kind of how torn she is in the relationship and certainly the finale of her character is really brutal and i think she gets across that performance brilliantly as well um and like you rightly mentioned as well like emily blunt as kitty is so good as well like it's just you could just talk for days about just the cast um i think that's it with florence's character though because that final scene with her and oppenheimer like the once you get past the fact that they're just sitting there nude (laughs) in a very awkward way like the actual tension that they're talking yeah. about in that and like the fact that like it was it was kind of explicit to me that she was basically asking for help mm. and he was you know and he was basically like i can't do this shit anymore yeah. i gotta save the world like i can't keep saving you like you gotta just sort your own shit out and he knew when he walked out of that room what was probably going to happen and that's why it hit him so hard mm. because he's like i can't like i've got other shit going on now i'm not just like teaching a class yeah like i'm sorry you know and i, and I just i i really thought that was that that was well executed for, for for her character and like that that development which is what we didn't get earlier on in the film for sure but yeah i think this like uh, like i said you know as a conclusion like this really is like an experience that it's it's hard mm. to kind of think about it like a traditional film i think if you are trying to compare this to other nolan movies i don't see the point in it because it's so so different yeah. i think it is you can't compare it to anything no like it's it almost is what i wish every documentary was you know where it's yeah. like it's telling yeah. you a real life story but in the most interesting and fascinating ways and it's told by one of the best directors in the world with some of the best actors in the world and and told in such a gorgeous stunning way that you can't really ask anything more of this i think that's my biggest takeaway is that if you were trying to create the perfect film about the life and death of Oppenheimer, I don't know how you could possibly make it any better than this without overstepping the mark and being like, mm. oh, yeah, well, there was this one time when a bunch of, you know, Nazis were trying to recruit him. So he had to have this like five hour car chase to leave the country. Like, that's yeah. what would happen. And it's like Nazi spy got into the camp. Hitler came and visited the States. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, no. And it's like, no. and then they had this side project where they were making werewolves and shit. Like, it was proper crazy. Um, and like, yeah, that'd be. Hey, man. Overlord was a good movie. <laughs> it's like that'd be super. It the don't like that'd be great. That'd be more <laughs> horror for us, but like it wouldn't be true. And I do feel like whilst I was thoroughly entertained, I feel like I genuinely learned so much from this film. Um, and it's made me think about this a lot. Like I, I think this stuff's fucking terrifying anyway. But like I still that that was my conclusion when the movie ends, which I do think not to fully. I don't want to spoil it, but I think the last like five minutes of this movie is so exceptional. Where it's, it's worth watching the three hours before just to see that five, last five minutes and to specifically see Killian, just his crown jewel and his acting in that final moment because because that was me when that movie ended. I was like, 
why is the earth still a- i was like why is the earth still here <laughs> i'm like yeah. i just watched a movie that that somehow exists telling me how this all ended and, and yet we're still here like what's that all about and it's a crazy crisis like self-crisis to have after watching what's supposed to be a well, fun actually, summer blockbuster you you're right in the i had this moment in like the the last few minutes of the movie and i'm really glad you mentioned it because i forgot about it because it was too real mm. Where as these last few minutes were going on, I genuinely sat there thinking, fuck, the world's going to end when this movie ends. Like, I genuinely was sat there and was like, I shouldn't be here. I should be with, like, I should be with people. Like, you know, like, this is the, this is it. Like, when, when this, I genuinely had, like, that sense of, like, the world was ending, like, with this movie. Like, it, it really did bring that thought home because you are just like yeah that's that's it's inevitable and that's what's so crazy again this isn't uh you know armageddon this isn't a big blockbuster mm. about the end of the world it's about people having conversations about theory but the reason why it's so scary is because it's so real like this is actually what's happened and you know not to get too kind of crazy but like we have actual wars going on in europe not that far from us right now and the people in that war have access to these weapons like that's a reality just wait you just gotta wait until the ai get control of it <laughs> mate and then then rip. yeah and then and that brings us back to mission impossible lovely um I was going Terminator, but fine, <laughs> whatever. Uh, it's been a, it's been a great, like we, we kind of lamented film in general this year. And whilst it hasn't obviously helped the horror scene, I can't help but remark that I've easily seen the best two movies this year in the last two weeks. Yeah. Like Oppenheimer yeah. and Mission Impossible is so unbelievably good that everyone should go see them. And I, I, I want to see them both they, 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 again. Like it's just it saved this year because i think even now when i look back on 2023 i've already got two movies that immediately i'll jump out and be like those are the two um mm. but yeah great times have you got any sort of closing thoughts on the old oppenheimer yeah i do not recommend this as a horror movie <laughs> one out of ten. yeah it was weird we kind of joked last week because people were saying like it's rated R. You you made me believe that it was. Christopher Nolan movie, said some stuff, I'm man, fine. where he was like, you know, some of it is, and and I do think the the jump scares, which are clearly in here, are his attempt at making horror. But like, no, this isn't a horror movie. I don't know what the hell this is. I don't even want to try and categorize it. It's just an, a three hour experience that I I would highly recommend to anyone who has any interest in anything. Like, it's so good on any level. Um, but yeah, that is our random but uh, fun discussion on Oppenheimer. I will take a quick break and we will be right back. So yeah, that is uh, that is it for another week bit of a bit of a different one this week but always enjoyable so we'll, we'll be back to the grind though um because we have got cinema horror for the next couple of weeks actually so yeah. um yeah we've got stuff on demand just ready to go but we won't need that for at least a few more weeks because uh we've got talk to me this weekend which should be an interesting one always nice to see a, an original horror ip on the big screen because we yeah. can't ever overstate how rare that is these days so that's cool um i'm not against this one as well no. like the idea of it it seems you know 
different enough in the spooky wheelhouse where i'm like okay i need to just stop talking shit and just try to enjoy this movie that's a bit different yeah like i'm i'm there because of the fact that i'm at such a level now where my bar is so low for horror that like i need (laughs) if i see a good film i'm gonna be talking it up like crazy like because i'm just at that level where i want to love something so like i need to just see a good horror film at the cinema and it'll be in my top five for this year um so i'm ready for that but i also am with you of like there's no point fighting it. We know what the next three months is ahead of us. So this is pointless us being negative and going into it every week, being like, we don't like these types of films and, and just, you know, see what happens. Um, so it's, it's and like, it, like I say, it's definitely the different enough, but even the ones like the nun too, I'm not going to like hold it against it. I'm going to try and enjoy it for what it is. Um, but then after that, funny enough, we do have a sequel, um, which God knows how this is going to go. Cause the Meg two is finally here after all after the many years of the the so many fans around the world waiting was, for this one i was trying to figure out what when you said we're at the cinema for two weeks <laughs> yeah, i knew for a fact that you didn't know this movie was this close <laughs> i know i knew it was this close so i was just hoping it would pass us by. <laughs> again i'm i'm down for this shit like i'm my, again the bar for horror is low man like so if yeah, you can give me a if you give me a fun movie like what cocaine bear was like i will take that i i just want fun at this point i don't i don't need the next saint maud because i don't i don't i look at our upcoming schedule and i don't see where the next saint maud or last night in soho is going to come from so i just i just want fun no. at this point um but yeah, good times ahead. Uh, but anyway, that was episode 357. Thanks for listening as always, and we'll see you again very soon. See you later, everyone. Through my veins and